Hi, this is Hillary Adler from DMN. I'm here for another uh, podcast with Laura Coulette, VP of Legal at TapAd. Today is GDPR Enforcement Day, or it will be by the time we publish this. Do you think people are ready? Because I don't think people are ready. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that, because I think for, you know, at least for us, we've been preparing for this for, let's say, a year and a half, at least. And I think we felt pretty ready until about two months ago when the Cambridge Analytica news broke, which, you know, is so far removed really from, you know, the context of our business. But what it did is I think it accelerated uh, a lot of people's thinking on the enforcement date. Um, I think there's been a real conservative turn in people's interpretation of how regulators may view um you know, companies under the GDPR, and I think there's been a lot of panic that's happened um, because of all the public hearings, because of the public outcry, um, and I think you're right that there are there's going to be a transition period for everyone to get up to speed on compliance, and in addition to that, it's a very sweeping law, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot of uh, interpretive decisions and commentary and um, practic- practical implications that I think we've yet to see. So full disclosure, Laura and I are good friends, and earlier you were you were saying that, that you and GDPR were just not on good terms anymore. <laughs> Why? I don't think that you're the only one. Yeah. No, I definitely am not the only one. I think that... I'd say Sheryl Sandberg and GDPR are on worse terms. Yes, they probably, they very much probably are. Um, I think it's because there are, like I said, a lot of speculation around what the law is going to mean to specific companies. And because of that, different companies have different interpretations of what the law means. Um, I think there's some friction um, of what some big players are doing. Um, you know, Google in the last 30 days or so has come out and pushed uh, a you know, consent solution mm-hmm. upon many of their publisher partners that has had some backlash associated with it. Um, so you have the regulation itself, but then you also have commercial implications um, mm-hmm. and risk, you know, profiling, you know, risk analysis decisions that are related to the law, but, you know, it's not necessarily a legal stance. And what that does is you, you know... <laughs> There's no straight answer, and I think it's causing a lot of turbulence in how things are going to play out. We were also talking about the National Origin Discrimination Law, and I'll let you explain a little bit about what that is. Um, but a- after you do that, do you think that company, U.S. companies in particular should look at that law when considering whether they want to apply GDPR globally? Yes, the National Origin Discrimination Law... Um, is, from my understanding, typically applied really in like an employment envi- environment. But that being said, the point is valid that there are individuals that live in the U.S., that U.S. citizens that may live in Europe, um, where it may seem as though they don't have the same rights as um, United States citizens living in the U.S. And I think from a company that... It, you know, has the impetus to actually, or obligation to pass along the data that they have about a person, it would be um, smart of them to provide that same information to U.S. citizens mm-hmm. as they do to EU citizens um, or EU residents. And 
I think that there is a lot of consumer backlash that may occur um, if that's not the case. And I think we're already seeing it. Um, there was an article, I think it was in the Times, uh, where they actually took an EU reporter and a US reporter, and they both mm-hmm. had the same request, and they got different data sets back. And what that does, it really exposes, um, yeah, what you're saying, the differences between how mm-hmm. you know, two, two, two citizens are going to be treated. That was, the, that was the New York Times. Was that the New York Times article that you sent me the other day? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. It was just like one line of data for the U.S. reporter yes. versus hundreds. Exactly. Going back to you, just met, you, you, you stumbled a little bit. You said yeah. U.S. citizens, and then you changed it, or you said EU citizens, and then yeah. you changed it, and you said EU residents. Yeah. Is there a distinguish? Yes. So EU residents, um, the law applies to EU residents only. Um, so it's we've talked about this a little bit on the last panel. So it's of course applies to. So if you have an EU citizen that's traveling to the US and then goes back to the EU, you know it still obviously applies to them. But yeah, it's it's EU residents in the EU. Um, you know, I'd say as a rule of thumb. So if somebody from France was studying in the US, it would not apply to them. So again, it's it you know of course if someone goes back to France or is like I'm an EU citizen um, and I want access to my data you know of course the company is going to say yes like of course we're going to give it to you but in concept you know if someone has left the EU and is living in the US full time the data collected on them in the in the US is not applicable under the law. All right. So then just switching gears a little bit, why should US companies look at GDPR as a good thing? I think a lot of them are like terrified and they're thinking this is an awful thing and it's going to impose a lot of unnecessary regulations but I think ultimately it's going to be a good thing because it establishes some level of transparency. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I mean I think that's the one of the core goals of the law is to establish for consumers to have more transparency over the data about what companies are doing with it and then also for them to have more um, control over how companies are using it, um, being able to withdraw from data processing if they um, don't want data to be processed on them. And those are all good things. The general concept of there needs to be more regulation around data, I don't think anybody would dispute that. Um, U.S. company or EU company or U.S. company targeting their products to EU citizens. Um, So that certainly, I I think, is, is a given. But the way in which you do it, the way the rules look, how they're applied. And that's one of the real challenges of the GDPR is that it is a one-size-fits-all law, um, and there are very different applications to how companies use data, how companies store data, the amount of data that's being stored. You know, a small tech company you know, in the internet space is very, very, very different than a Facebook or a Google, and yet we are still being held to that same standard. Um, as if we are part, part of these giant data aggregators that have you know, a ton mm-hmm. of information where a much smaller company may not. So I think that's been one of the challenges is that you have a law that is designed to sweep across all industries and all applications. And the reality is what that means is the law is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And that in itself has created a lot of friction. So then just a you know, final question. Earlier you mentioned the Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal. I think GDPR wasn't so much on the radar before that. Certainly wasn't on the public radar. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are smaller companies that just didn't have GDPR on their radar at all. And now in the last two months, they've been scrambling to put together some some order of compliance, whereas you know other companies have been working on this for a year or two years. 
what 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 are a few quick checklist items um, that companies can do to at least appear compliant while they get everything in the books? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I think you're right about that. Um, I think again, going back to the core tenet of the law, transparency, right? So a company having a very well written, transparent privacy notice about the type of data they collect, with whom they share it, how it's processed, how long they keep the data, how they secure the data. You know, those are easy things that a consumer can go and verify. And even for myself, if I'm doing diligence on a company, it's immediately, if I go to privacy policy and it looks shoddy, it looks, it doesn't look as though some key points about how they're using data are there, um, it raises some red flags for me. Um, second, you know, how users can get in contact with someone at the company to talk, to ask them about their data. So having an easily accessible, um, you know, contact information, your privacy at is a really simple way to do it. So someone can get in touch with um, a person at the company and get access to their data. And then also if uh, individuals are having their data processed by this company, a right to object, an easy way for someone to say, no, I do not want my data being processed by you. Um, so I think those are just some really basic, basic things that a company can do as a starting point. Um, and then, you know, the corporate governance behind how the data is being processed, of course, is a whole other thing. But at least from an outward-facing perspective, the transparency piece. Um, and, of course, making sure it's accurate. So you can just go and write whatever, you know, you think might make sense. Go and, t- you know, rip off a, a well-written privacy notice. But actually, you know, disclosing what, what that company is doing. All right. Well, thank you, Laura. Awesome to have you. Thank you. Usually right. nerding out over data outside <laughs> the office. Um, but thanks for being here. Thank you so much.